Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Welcome back to Coaching Inside the Box, episode 44. I forgot to hit record, so we should start this again. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered now and not at the end of the podcast. <laughs> I was like, should I interrupt him? Should I? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you, could, you could actually just keep going and I can edit. Well, this just kidding. We good? Pug good? Yeah. Welcome back to Coaching Inside the Box, episode 44, where the plan is to talk about all the various ways in which you can penetrate, which is always a weakness of Andy's. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Already? I was really excited what? about that. <laughs> How'd that play out? That's a great way to start a youth soccer coaching podcast. Andy's literally actually, And we actually started with a good joke this morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely shocked that you've been talking to my wife behind my back. <laughs> <laughs> penetration there is so i meant to finish it you guys cut me off penetra we're going to talk today about penetration on a soccer field right how do you break down a defense in the attacking third and the various ways in which you can do it what do you guys get your mind in the gutter i'm just thinking that brazilians are good in penetrating on and off the field <laughs> <laughs> can we get to the important topic here <laughs> Not if it has anything to do with your bedroom, Andy, no. Andy, how are you? Philippe, how are you? Well, summer's upon us. It's June 2nd now as we record today. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. We got steak up tonight, tryouts next week. So, I mean, big things happening. And, you know, I think it, it's a time of the year that I feel like um, Pep Guardiola, you know. I'm trying to win a championship. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to, you know, I got these players coming in and you know having those conversations seeing if we're gonna add anybody you know we might form a new team to get you know in the age group so it's you know i feel like i'm an agent you know i'm this a manager is, this and is all. the best example of philippe finding his feet on this podcast we're now 44 episodes in and he's finally got comfortable enough to compare himself to pep guardiola so <laughs> there is that you know, some people live in a total fantasy world. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> well, dream big or go home, right? Dream big or go home. I mean, this, the soccer calendar right now mm -hmm. is is in Kansas City, and I'm sure for many parts of the country, is just off the charts, right? With tryouts going, with State Cup going, uh, or tryouts around the window, but the, the transfer window is open for sure. <laughs> Fielding calls left and right. People currently within the teams that I coach, I'm sure it's the same for you, Philippe, um, asking about next year and then kids from outside the club. Um, why, why do we have transfer interest. windows? I just don't understand this. I mean, in, in schools, we don't have transfer windows. You know, we don't say to the kids, okay, everything's open. You can go to any other school you want, you know, start looking around. 
you know, it's, it's that time of the year. Let's, I, I would know, be it, a proponent of transfer windows of just like an open time during the year where kids can move without penalty, but not this giant pomp and circumstance that is Travis. I think it would. Why, why don't we just have like normal society where you can go and get a different job anytime you want? I, I would I would be in total favor of that. If a kid wants to move at whatever point that they get to move, the kids should have that power, not 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 the clubs. The kids and parents should have that power. Nobody should be tied to anything. And, yep. you know, and you, you know, you can decide as you go if you're in the right place or you're not in the right place but you know here we've got imagine if they did that for marriage you know it's like every you know every year there was two weeks when you could go around and test the menu and you know talk to all sorts of other people we got any id sessions going on yeah. <laughs> i mean it'd be a fun two weeks but <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's, it's a crazy time. When we arrived this morning, though, Andy, of course, trials is the first thing that we brought up because we were down in the office chatting to some of the other uh-huh. coaches from the club. And I think the first thing out of your mouth was something along the lines of, I feel like it's election season. Tryouts and November elections almost go hand in hand. And that's not a positive correlation. Oh, no, it's, it's you know, it's, it's a total negative because even if you're a parent that's totally committed to the club that you're with, other people within your team are are talking about going and doing, you know, this with this team, this team. So you almost feel obligated to cover your bases, you know, to look around. And then of course, when you go, there's always those coaches in the community that are snake oil salesmen and they'll promise you the earth because they look at you, especially our players, because we're just (laughs) tremendously skillful. So one of our players goes and tries out for another team. They always get an offer you know, from the other coach. And then, you know, the other coach is, you know, high pressure, you know, all the reasons why they should leave the legends who's developed them to be the player that the other coach wants and come and join their club, you know, and, you know, and some of these guys are pretty good sales people, you know, and so that's when people start saying, well, we didn't really think about leaving the legends because, you know, we've had such a great experience there, but maybe we should try something else. So inevitably, because we do such a good job of developing players, we lose players to other clubs at this point in time that, you know, prior to the, you know, the, the actual onset of tryouts didn't really want to move. But then a couple of teammates started talking about it. They thought they better look, you know, and cover their bases. And all of a sudden, you know, from going from a, a player or two leaving a team, you know, five or six leave the team. Yeah, it can be- snowball real quick. Because, you know, you know they, they feel that they might be missing out if they don't. Yeah. You know, and you know, the stupid thing is, within a couple of years, those players have lost what makes them special. Mm-hmm. And they are no longer that desirable to the coach that, that, you know, recruited them heavily in the first place. And so they find themselves, you know, on the bench a lot. You know, instead of being in the starting 11 because the other coach couldn't maintain their progression from, you know, a fantastic skill perspective like we've done. So we end up being the club that, you know, develops players to the greatest degree. We end up being the club that probably loses the most players at tryout time. But we end up being the club that two years later gets a whole bunch of those players back because they realize that they got snow jobbed, you know, at the time of tryouts. Unfortunately, we can't make up those two years when we get them back. Those two years are gone. They've regressed and we can progress them again. You know, but if they had D1 potential or pro potential, they've lost it because, you know, we haven't had them for two years and they've missed out on, you know, maybe 120 to, you know, 180,000, you know, box soccer shots and, and war ball shots and, you know, the things that really make a big difference. So, 
you know, it's, it's incredibly devastating for those children, you know, and yet our club still grows because everybody in the community knows we're the best at developing skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so it's really an interesting time because humans being impressionable and being easily sold on things that they don't understand. And unfortunately, American parents have less of an understanding of what makes a great soccer player than parents around the rest of the world. The game's still young here. Yeah. They, they get fooled into thinking they should be doing something else. Um, yes. Uh, but bringing it back to the, 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 the topic at hand, what people want to hear, penetration... Um, I'm jokes aside. Um, I want to talk for a minute about like, let's depart from tryouts. We've talked quite a bit about it. Um, and, and ECNL national leagues, that's been kind of the last few episodes that we've done. Let's get back into the field stuff, stuff that happens on the, on between the white lines. Um, from a club perspective, our approach is generally speaking, Ben, from my vantage point, um, in the in the, the beginning stages of working with players, we really dig into the individual fakes and moves, right? To teach our kids to to help our kids become intuitive, it just comes out that the ability to create off of the dribble for themselves, and we just hammer that home with um, all of the the maestro skills that we teach, and then putting it within one v ones, right, and really hammering the kids under pressure with as many um, uh, repetitions as possible, and we have many episodes that cover kind of that pot, that 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 process. But it, as kids become super intuitive to it, um, there is a second stage to the approach in which we teach the game, and that second stage is largely built around um, combination play in tight spaces, the ability to combine with a teammate to break down a defense, because at the highest levels. Um, uh, the best attackers need to not only be able to create for themselves off of the dribble, but they also need to be able to combine with a teammate to break down um, a defense. And and we um, feel as though through tri- trial and error over the last 35 years, we've come up with a really good approach and a really good system for taking giving our players that deceptive dribbling ability and then and then later adding in the ability to comp- combine with with teammates without losing the deceptive dribbling um, piece and that's really t- that's a really difficult thing to do um, and obviously we we're always perfecting it and getting better in that direction to that end um, you know Andy I, I can go back we've talked about it a little bit in in previous episodes but again we're 44 episodes deep so there's been a lot of episodes we haven't talked about this specifically um, but I remember in that stage when you had decided with my team you were going to kind of start moving us in a direction where a lot you know really talking about wall passes really talking about overlaps really talking about give and goes but then not just teaching us wall passes or overlaps but a wall pass fake an overlap fake really giving us the the tools and the confidence to be really deceptive in that way and then we started beating those to death with 2v2s um, that being a, a really significant piece of what we do. I want to kick off this part of the conversation, Andy, with um, a story that I'm not even sure when you told it to me, but it's a story that I've, I've that stuck with me for a really long time. Um, my team was the 83-84 Legends. The other team that you coached all the way through was the 81-82 Legends, right? And the 81-82 Legends um, uh, succeeded on an outdoor level uh, that surpassed really what my team ever did um, with numerous Final Fours throughout their youth career. And finally, that group went off to college, um, and USYSA at the time in the, what, that had been early 2000s, at the time in the early 2000s, had a, both a U19 
USYSA National Championship and a U20 USYS National Championship. So they had State Cup that led into regionals, that led into nationals. That was back in the day when nationals only had four teams, one team from every region. And um, your 81-82 boys, I believe it was their second year, the U20 year, uh, so sophomores in college, came back together post-college, got together quickly, formed a State Cup team, and made a, made a run all the way to the National Final Four. Um, you weren't coaching them. I think it was Chris Klein, current general manager for the LA Galaxy. I just got fired. Oh, oh, he just got fired. Yeah, I knew he was on the on the. After on many the many years, he just got fired. He just got fired. Okay, yeah. so but had played with the Wizards um, back in the day in Kansas City. That was the time that he coached that group, and that group went. It was your team, right? But coached by Chris, that went to nationals, um, and they played a team from Florida. Um, you weren't down there, but you had heard that, that your team had done really well. I think this specifically was the year that they won it, uh, beating Southern California 9-1 to one, uh, in maybe the semifinal or something along those lines. And there was a Florida coach, and I'm not sure if this is ringing a bell for you at all, but there was a Florida coach that called you after the game. Yeah. And he said, Andy, I played your boys this weekend. And do you remember how that conversation went? Yeah, you know, and the reason that I knew these coaches from all over the country is I, I started around for a lot of years, both the National Indoor Championship and Super Clubs in North America. And in, we always had our big national finals at Disney. So we had a lot of, you know, good Florida clubs because the finals were always just hop, skip and a jump from Miami, you know, where they were based, you know, so they didn't have to catch a flight. Yep. You know, they just jump in cars and they're there, you know. And, uh, you know, th this guy was somebody that had competed in the Super Clubs events, you know, and and uh, was you he know, a South African or something? You know, he was another bloody foreigner. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and he called me up afterwards. You know, and just waxing lyrical about the way in which you know our guys destroyed the, the opposition in the final four. You know, not just you know one. You know, in most games, you know, one or two goals. I mean, you know, it was like a six-goal gap. You know, between their team and our team. You know, in the actual national final, you know, and, you know, and, and he was amazed at our ability to constantly deceive the opposition under pressure in the attacking third well, and make them think we we're going to do something else and, and then get out of the box and do something illusionary something yeah, yeah. or magical. And if I remember, not if I remember, I definitely, this is what, how I remember you telling me was, you know, you know, he had mentioned Andy, you know, kind of give you a hard time about it a little bit, but like we played your boys from Kansas and everybody thought it'd just be an easy game. And then we got going and we saw how good they were on the ball. They were constantly breaking lines off of the dribble. And so as they got into the, def the attacking third, our defensive third, I think he was an opposing coach. He said, we started doubling and triple team. And I'm like, okay, well, We'll have them right they're just a one-trick pony and they're gonna to dribble by us and, and use a deceptive dribbling skill to beat us and then all of a sudden they started whipping out this is him telling you they started whipping out these wall passes these overlaps just on the edge of the box you know we had 10 guys back behind the ball doubling them every time the ball and we still couldn't stop them they were unstoppable and their ability to combine and I love that story and I've told it to parents several times that a finished product for me for us as a club is not a player that can just out just dribble everybody and put the ball in the back of the net that player has to be able to do that a finished product for us but they've also got to have the ability in really tight spaces to combine in 1v1s or in in, in uh, wall passes and overlaps and takeovers and double passes the various combination plays that you taught us to truly be a complete legends player if that makes sense but i would add something to that they've got to have the ability to combine with wall passes and wall pass fakes. Yes, yes. Overlaps and overlap fakes. And the, uh, so, you know, 
I've been thinking about this podcast, and on the way here, just around the corner from my house, there was a lady out jogging, you know, and, you know, I've been had this on my mind, you know, and and so as I was driving, I thought to myself, and I wrote it down here, you see, I scribbled it down while I was driving, you know, and I thought to myself, okay, question, what do pattern plays and yoga pants have in common? <laughs> I don't know, Andy, what do they have in common? They leave nothing to the imagination. <laughs> His <laughs> jokes are back. Boom. So, so, you know, there is no illusion in yoga pants. You know, sure. you know, somebody wearing yoga pants, you know exactly what they look like without any clothes on. You know, it's... There's no illusion, you know, and, uh, and, and so, you know, and then I, I thought to myself, well, you know, it, you know, Brazil is the best historical example of the importance of an illusion, you know, because you never knew what they were going to do, you know, so, you know, the rest of the world has basically been wearing yoga pants for years in the way they play the game, leaving no illusion, because, you know, when you see a wall pass developing, what happens? You a wall it. pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, when you see an overlap happening, is what you know what happens. You know, it's going to be an overlap. Well, you know, to expand upon and add to our ability to be deceptive on the ball, you know, and use you know a drag merit on a turn, you know, and create this illusion about what's going to happen when we're one on one. We also create the illusion about what's going to happen when there's two on two. Sure. So you know, we do this wall pass fake, you know, and so the beauty is though. It's confirmation bias on the part of the defender. The defender is absolutely certain that you're going to do a wall pass because they've seen a wall pass a million times while they've been growing up, you know. And so the wall pass is the standard. I pass to you. I make a run. Give and I, go. Yeah, give and go. Wall pass. You know. You yeah. know apparently, there's an extra touch in the give and go. Apparently, you know. And and so the wall pass is the one touch back. The give and go yeah. is touch it and then play it back. You know. And so you know, in either of those two scenarios, though, that always happens. You know, you get the play back to the player making the run, if that player has got any chance of penetrating. But what you don't get is a fake to play it back and a Cruyff turn to go the other way and bury the defender who's already moved three yards towards, you know, the return pass, thinking that it's going to go back to the person that originally played the ball. You know, and so now this becomes totally confusing because nobody has that in, in their experience you know, a library, if you like, mm -hmm. you know, we all as players, as defenders, we've seen the wall pass, we've seen the give and go many times, but we haven't seen the wall pass fake or the give and go fake many times. And so if we can teach our players just one simple thing, like pointing towards the runner and calling their name, something doesn't even involve the ball. It's not even a neuromuscular skill. You give me the ball. I'm receiving the ball. As you're making the run, I point, Andrew you know, I call your name, the defender takes a two or three yard step in that direction, you know, because they're sure that the thing that has happened a million times already to them is going to happen again. And then you croif it and you go in and put the ball in the back of the net, you know, and this is the power of the illusion, you know, like the yoga pants thing is, you know, it's, you know, that leaves you nothing, nothing to the imagination. You know, so I, I prepared a couple of, you know, uh, of, of jokes uh, here. I, I, was, I was wondering when these were going to make that return. <laughs> You've been missing my jokes, haven't you? Um, did you ever hear about the magician that only performed illusions with chocolate? <laughs> 
he always had a few twigs up his sleeve. <laughs> I'm not laughing. That's corny. Which alcoholic oh, that drink? Corny. That they're all corny. corny. <laughs> okay. Which alcoholic drink can give you the illusion that you're hurt? Champagne. Champagne. Okay. Uh, okay. Did you hear the one about the Mexican magician? He announced to his audience, for my final illusion, I will make myself vanish on the count of three. So he counted unos, dos, and poof. He vanished without a trace. Uno, dos, trace. Oh, okay. You've got to be intelligent to get these jokes, by the way. Well, you got to listen to the whole thing. I was busy thinking about my next segue. Okay, you look completely blank there for a second. I'm not sure you were thinking. <laughs> well, joke, jokes aside, I do, I do want to add to what Andy says, said because I think it's very important. Uh, we often, as you said, think about the dribbling, the dribbling, what the player can do with the ball. But in Austin, the 2v2, what the player can do without the ball. So, I mean moving to create space for yourself right being open the ability to lose a defender that is right next to you a lot of our players because they're that good they're men marked right it's one of the hardest things in a soccer game is to get rid of you know uh, a Kante you know from from Chelsea men marking you or you know it's 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 really tough so you there are ways you know in those movements when you pass you do a fake run one way and you actually show up the other way you know, and it's stuff like that, that it's a lot of what we learn in Brazil in street soccer. There is no space, right? So we have to find ways to create space for ourselves. We, the keeper has the ball. We run like we're going to go along for him to throw the ball. As we run, we sprint, the defenders start coming with us, we check back and we get the ball. So stuff like that, it, it's fantastic. And a lot of the, what we do here in indoor practice, you can work in stuff like that on the or uh, 2v2s as Andy said you do you can do the wall pass but the next time you do the wall pass fake like he said and the kid that gets the ball instead of passing makes that touch takes that touch do a craft turn and go inside and bury the ball then the next time the wall pace might be open because the defender is not going to take the extra two steps and if the next time the player on the ball he gives the ball and he makes a run like he's going to go for the overlap but then he runs to the other side and the player lays off and he takes a shot now the defender's like what what the hell are they going to do so they don't do anything so you can pick any of the three so i think all that that we can work here is really what street soccer brings you know and brazil has been fantastic on that i recently listening to a podcast uh, about a Brazilian player. His name is Douglas. He wore number 10, played for the national team a few times, you know, did played in Shakhtar for Ukraine for, for years and then made a really, really big career in Brazil. You know, liked partying too much, so never took it to the next level. But when Ronaldo came to Corinthians to play with him, he was the number 10 and he was freaking out. Oh my God, I'm going to play with Ronaldo, like the guy that I grew up worshipping and, you know, watching on the video game and he kind of talking to Ronaldo like oh how do how do you like the ball how how do you want me to play with the ball like how like what do you need me to do and it's like only one thing if you have the ball look at me if I run behind the defense give it on my feet because I'm gonna check back if I run to you as I'm checking play behind the defense because I'm going to go in behind the defense. It's always the opposite. Always the opposite. And he was like, that's it? Like, yeah. Just whatever I do, just do the opposite. And yeah. he said, it was the easiest thing 
to play with Ronaldo because his movement, his ability to create space for himself. And again, we're talking about Ronaldo. We're talking about in Corinthians, he was 20, 40 pounds overweight, but he still, had, he still had this, uh, the speed in the first 10, 20 yards, right? But I mean, he was fat. He was not in his best shape, but he was Ronaldo. He was always man-marked by their best center back with a cover. For that guy to be able to play, he needs to be able to create space for himself. For our better players to play, whether they're playing the striker, the number 10, the winger, the outside back, they need to be able to create space for themselves because the other coach is going to go, I'm going to man mark that kid, right? Because he's that special. You know, when they play against us, it's hard because we have more than one special kids, right? So there's too many to man mark. But when those kids go to college, that's what they're going to face. And they need to be able to get out of situations like that. It's a, it's a really good story to, to paint a picture for what it is that we're talking about. Because we're talking about using specifically for us. And if you haven't listened, go back. I don't know what episode it is. It's probably in the 10 to 15 range. Um, but it's all about 2v2s. And it, it goes deep into our 2v2 structure, the sessions in which we run 2v2s, like we run 1v1s. Um, and uh, the 2v2s adds this extra layer of the ability to combine with teammates. I'll never forget a clip that I saw to paint a picture. It was it was Zidane um, against a fairly uh, like the the clip the the defense was all in their own box right they were so so Zidane's team had to run a play and somebody played the ball to Zidane and just takes off into the box to to finish out the wall pass or the give and go and Zidane just lets it run through his legs the defender does just as you said Andy took two steps in the wrong direction and buries it far post with his left foot um, and it's like a step over it was just like a, ball. Just yeah, literally let through, it run right yeah, through his I legs yeah. and it was this 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 perfect illustration of this confidence that Zidane had which is the magician uh, reference that you always make Andy which is just those players that 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 are so confident that they're always one step ahead of you with some deceptive piece of, of thought or movement. Um, and, and that's the margin of greatness related to breaking down defenses in the, in the attacking third when it gets really tight. I, I, I talked to uh, Paulo Nagamura that used to play for Sporting KC, and he mentioned that he played against the Dunn once uh, when he was at LA Galaxy. Real Madrid came, they did a friendly, and he said, I tried to kick him. Like I was playing the the eight or the six, whatever he was playing the ten. I was I all I wanted to do was kick him. I couldn't. I couldn't get close to him. I couldn't find him on the field. Yeah. He was always a step ahead. He was always away. When I thought he was gonna receive the ball there and I was going full speed there, he had already taken a touch and spun the other way. Or he had laid off somebody and spun in behind me to get it. It was like it was impossible even to kick him. Andy, you had brought up pattern play earlier um, and uh, drawn a, a, a small comparison, but I want to dig into pattern play a, a little bit more. Um, uh, as 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 a, a growing, maybe that's not the right term, but as a coach, I'm seeing an increased amount of simple pattern concept understanding in teams that I play against where every time we're matched up against this team, it's re very predictable. The center back's going to, and they're technically pretty good. They can knock the ball around a little bit, right? Center back's going to go either to the right back or to the left back. Like left back's either going to play a, a ball into the middle for a checking center mid, or they're going to play it down the line to a left wing, right? And same on the right side. And it becomes very 
very easy to predict um, um, patterns of play that kids do. Um, and um, a concern that I have for us as, a, as an American soccer culture is that I feel as though we're seeing more and more kids really comfortable and successfully playing very predictable patterns of sideways and backwards um, uh, or, or, or long balls into to, to, to wings down channels. Um, and it's very predictable. Um, and a concern that I have is that it limits our ability as a, um, as a soccer culture here in the United States because as you get to higher levels of play, predictable patterns aren't successful in the least. Um, and so, Andy, when you, um, having coached more years and at a higher levels than Fleeper I have, um, when, when, when you're working with teams that, that match up against predictable patterns, does it give you a sense of raised confidence in terms of they've been trained so much in pattern play that when our guys get on the ball, their deceptive qualities and the lack of patterns um, uh, might give us a, a, a significant advantage. Does that make sense? I think it gives us a huge advantage because, you know, when you're in the mode of training with your club on pattern plays, um, you start to um, expect the predictable, you know, and the fact that we you know, don't do the predictable, predictable thing, you know, means that, you know, the teams that see us for the first time, especially are completely fish out of water. You know, one of the interesting things is that, you know, with your teams when you were younger, we would actually go out of town and play teams that were higher ranked than the teams in the local community. And we would beat up on them because they hadn't seen us. They didn't know what to expect. They thought it was just going to be another traditional game of pass and receive, you know, and all of a sudden they're being deceived you know, play after play after play because we didn't do the expected thing. You know, their, their confirmation bias, what they saw from all the other teams they played against on a week-in, week-out basis had no relevance to the way that we played. So when they came up against us, you know, literally they, they, they couldn't use their experience, you know, and they founded something terribly against our style of play, you know, because, you know, we didn't follow the norms, you know, we were doing the, the unexpected. And this, if we go a little deeper, you know, this makes a lot of sense, you know. And, and there's been this massive movement over the last couple of decades um, away from improvisation into pre-planned plays. And unfortunately, when you work in, in the pattern play environment, in the pre-planned play environment, you are becoming very predictable. And the, the old saying about offense is in offense, you mustn't be predictable. Yeah. You want, defensively, you want to, you know, have, you know, your, your balance, your cover, you know, you, you want all of the things. It's good to be predictable, you know, from a defensive perspective, but an offense shouldn't have shape. Shape is predictability. And pattern plays are predictability. The very meaning of the word pattern is it's reproduced again and again and again. That's what pattern means. So a pattern play, an offensive pattern play, is actually that contradiction in terms because you are doing again and again and again a certain thing which familiarizes the defense with what you're doing and experienced players adjust and they say, hey, I saw that last time and we're going to cover that this time. So if you're a big pattern play guy, 
you know, as a coach, you're going to find that it might work for the first, you know, one or two. And honestly, I exaggerate because I just never see them work. You know, I'm I'm working with a men's team right now and they work on a lot of pattern plays and I'm an assistant coach, you know, and we're doing a lot of that in practice, but I haven't seen anything in a game yet, anything that, you know, that looks like a pattern play that we've worked on up until this point. And I would have thought that something that we'd worked on would have actually Come looked off. like something in the games that we're playing. Sure. You know, so, you know, it, to to my, you know, um, I think fairly experienced eye, I'm wondering, you know, if that's not actually being put into the game scenario, why aren't we working on something that is being put into the game scenario? And here's the thing about what we do, you know, um, we work on ex- exceedingly... Um, uh, good passing and sorry shooting and deceptive dribbling skills and a shot is nothing but the hardest pass so we're working on the hardest you know of, of all passes which is a, a rocket shot that goes into the top corner from 25 yards which is the equivalent of a 40 50 yard cross field ball you know so we're getting the passing technique development by working on the shooting does that make sense you know so it's a two for one you know and then Working on deceptive dribbling, we're getting the touch, the balance, the coordination, the agility, all the things that go into receiving. So it's a two for one. You know, we get two skills, shooting and, and, and passing by working on shooting. We get two skills, you know, which is receiving by working on deceptive dribbling because we're building superior, you know, bodily control. Mm-hmm. You know, that the absolutely is the core of dribbling, you know. And so we're getting all of this crossover that works incredibly well in the game and develops really skillful players, you know, and because of the deceptive nature of, of dribbling, what we're doing is we are leveraging that skill to be able to make our offense unpredictable, you know, to the defense. And we're doing this in small sided situations, maximum two versus two. So we're doing one versus ones, two versus two. Occasionally we'll do some two versus ones and one versus twos. When we actually play, you know, one versus one, two versus two, three versus three, there's constant, just as a result of the ebb and flow of the game, there's constantly one-on-ones, one-on-twos, one-on-threes, three-on-ones, three-on-twos, three-on-threes. It just constantly ebbs and flows, you know, as the game evolves. So we don't have to manufacture that type of situation with a pattern play. So we're always working on something that's viable in the game. These pattern plays have to be worked without opposition because the minute you put opposition into a practice, <laughs> so longer, yeah, yeah. the pattern play breaks down. Yep. So that should be a big clue to the coach. If I can't work it with opposition in practice, I shouldn't be doing it in practice because I can't actually do it in practice the way that it's going to happen in a game. So what we do is we incorporate our wall pass and our wall pass fakes. We incorporate our overlaps and our overlap fakes into two-on-two, you know, and it happens exactly that way in the game. And, you know, we start using that stuff on a regular basis, which led to that, com- you know, that comment from the coach in Florida, you know, when our Legends team basically thrashed them with an inch of their life, is they couldn't set up their defense for the pass because we were dribblers. They couldn't set up their defense for the dribble because we were passers, but we weren't just predictable passers. Sure. We were deceptive passers. We didn't patent play pass. You know, we deceived 
as we passed in combination, we looked like we were going to do something else. Well, 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 pattern pattern play could never be a part of what we did growing up because I distinctly remember, and it was the first time I remember it. Hold that thought. Yeah. Because I just had a vision, you know. We were not wearing yoga pants while we were doing those those combinations. I mean, I sometimes we showed up without pants on, yeah. but that's, we, that, that's we a different story. We were constantly deceiving people. Yeah. They didn't know what they were going to get. You understand? Well, I, you I, know, it's a, we, we had camo on. We were camouflaged. We weren't wearing yoga we pants. True to our Midwest roots. <laughs> um, I, I remember distinctly in Wales, so we'd have been U13 uh, playing in the Ian Rush tournament in Aberystwyth. I remember... For whatever reason, that's the first time I have memory of you really get on your front, getting on your front foot, about guiding us in attack to losing our shape. And so we were playing a French team, um, and I remember I was probably playing right, right midfield or something like that. And the ball was on the left side of the field, and I just took off and ran all the way across the field on a diagonal and made a run down the left channel. Um, and I remember, and I, and I'm by nature a people pleaser and so when receiving praise especially publicly man it made me feel like I was 10 feet tall and I remember at halftime you just going on and on and Andrew guys did you see what Andrew did he lost he left shape who cares about the defensive side of it we'll figure it out we'll adjust if if we get caught in transition but he made a 60 yard run across the field and he took his defender not all the way because the defender got halfway and then was confused should I continue to follow him or not and it was in that moment that I like started to think about like, okay, defensively, I need to keep my shape. I need to stay tight. I need to find, find my mark, right? And, and stay connected to my teammates. But offensively, my goal was to completely leave the position that I was in. And so pattern play never really could work for us um, uh, uh, as a club team, if that makes sense. But you mentioned earlier, like our teams, when we'd start to travel, we, how we have more joy against teams of a higher ranking. So my 2013 boys team was getting ready to head to, to Florida to Supercopa, um, which is, I guess, a big tournament for the younger age groups. And we're, we're playing in Supercopa. And it's really, I'm really kind of pumped. We're playing a team from Dallas. We're playing a team from Chicago. We're playing a team from Seattle. And my parents being overly uh, enthusiastic, as always, Johnny Chain sent me, um, uh, uh, me and Josh, the other coach, a YouTube video. He found a YouTube video of the team from Seattle that were playing um, down in Supercopa. Um, and the team from Seattle, according to whatever rankings exist for, you know, 2013 teams, which, I, I mean, the, the bunk to begin with, right? But the team from Seattle um, uh, uh, is, I think it, Johnny said top 10, whatever the rankings that are out there, right? So supposedly a, a quite good team. Um, and I spent, I don't know, 10 minutes watching it. I'm like, oh, this will be curious. I wonder what they look like. And it was, they were very technical, very tidy on the ball, rarely took a bad touch, but it was super predictable stuff. A center back went wide, left or right, never went forward, literally never played the ball forward. And uh, um, Josh and I, the other coach, and Johnny were chatting about it at a recent training. And I was like, I wonder what they're going to think when um, our center back gets the ball <laughs> and goes on a full field dribble. Because, I mean, coincidentally, one of our best dribblers, maybe the best dribbler, is our center back. And so like, there is no predictability. There is no pattern. And like, I'm really eager to see this giant clash of styles occur in, in Florida here in a couple weeks' time. Because as you mentioned, as we experience locally in Kansas City, 
everybody knows what they're going to get when they play us, right? Yeah, like, it's like way it's, harder. It's, it's, it's way more difficult. Mm-hmm. And, and, and more often than not, especially my 2013 team, who's very good, teams, they junk it up, right? Like it becomes a very physical game. There's no real effort when we're playing the top teams in our age group. There's no real effort to actually play soccer. It's, it's, it's really just a physical kind of kick fest, if you will. Um, and we're double and triple teamed out of the back. And my 2013 is like, we're not really talking about passing at all. And so we really struggle in a double double or triple team compared to playing a one-on-one and so I can't wait to get down there as the other teams just spread the field out and put all nine of my players in a very very straightforward 1v1 scenario it's going to be a fun um, environment for sure and what you mentioned is one of the things that I was gonna get into like if you go to a higher level the other team will study you especially now with the cameras I mean, any 2015 team that is playing outdoors already has a VO camera a or camera. a trace camera. And their own YouTube channel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, for example, and I did that the other day. I was in St. Louis for National League. We were playing the team that I think they made it to the national final last year. They're one of the best teams in the country. I think they were ranked number four, definitely number one in the nation, uh, in the Midwest. Fantastic team, you know, we lost 3-0 to them in the fall. The game was really good. We gave up a goal late in the second half and, you know, went all in and got countered after that. Uh, but it was a good game and I knew that team is fantastic. So, the, I'm in the hotel, we won Friday night and then uh, I look, look up their game on YouTube. And I noticed a few things about their team. They're number 10. I remember, extremely skillful player, really, really, really good player. I'm like, okay, I need to shut that kid down. And then I noticed the patterns that they did offensively. And then I noticed some of the things tactically. And then I went into the game already knowing exactly what I was going to face. I told the boys, I gave them a few tactical advices, made a few adjustments tactically. They went in, we beat them. We, it's a team that, you know, they dominate. They, you know, they were surprised. They expected an easy game against us, and we beat them. And we beat them well. We played fantastic. You know, we shut them down offensively. Number one, the game was 1-0. Could have gone up two. If we had gone up two, we had a chance to go up another one. And, I mean, it was fantastic. But all because I was able to see and then prepare for it. So, again, that was one player that they had that was predictable. That player was man-marked. And the patterns were easy to predict. So the highest the level, the more preparation there is, the more study there is, the more the unpredictability is important. And that's what we do here. And again, you switch teams, you go to college, the patterns will be different. The formation will be different. You know, I all, I don't get stuck when I coach my team. They have three different formations that inside of the game they can switch the formation. I have the code words for, to switch the formation. They already know the position they switch to because they need to learn how to play every formation, every position. They need to move around because they need to be complete players. They go to a system. They play a four-speed through their whole career. They go to college. They play a three-five-two. They they're they're gonna struggle, right? They're they're not gonna know that. And same with pattern plays. You run a pattern. You know, their whole youth career, they go to college, it's a completely different pattern, right? So you're not getting anything. And the last thing I want to mention, pattern play is to win games, right? Youth soccer is to develop kids. It's not to win games. Not to develop teams. If, to if develop you, kids. Exactly. If yeah. you're running a practice where you're doing pattern play and you have a 
you know, the maximum amount of players that we will have on a pattern play is 11 because there's 11 players on the field. You have 16 to 18 in your roster. So every time you're doing running one rep, you have half of your kids or nearly half of your kids sitting out. So they're already having to rotate and they're getting one, two touches on the ball per rep. It, it, they just don't develop as much. They don't. It's predictable. They're not being stimulated uh, in their creativity, in in their uh, ability to fake and uh, the defenders uh, to create illusions. Uh, nothing on the ball. No improvisation. They're just and they're not getting enough reps on the ball. So it's counter their development. You know, might look good. Might help win games, which at the end of the day, I don't really think it does. But. Here's the rub with that. You are actually lessening their ability to go to the next level. You know, when you when you focus on predictability, which is a pattern play, you know, you're actually, you know, uh, holding them back, you know, and you're doing it for hopefully a more immediate win. But I don't even think it gets you more immediate wins, you know, because it makes you predictable even within the game scenario when you work on pattern plays. Hey, I got something that I, I really want to to point out, though. What years, you know, did Junior play for the Brazilian national team? Who? Junior. Junior. J U N O I O R. Junior. Left back? Yes. Uh he was the sub for Roberto Carlos in 2002. Oh no, the the other junior, uh 82. The really good one. Yeah. He, so he 82. was on the team that should have gone all the way. Yes, but, he played you know, 82 and 86. I thought it was, but I I yeah. just wanted to check with you. Um yeah. the I remember watching him, and I remember that uh, during one game at the World Cup, he disappeared from left fullback, and he spent five to ten minutes on the right wing. And you know he was right-footed. He played left-back, but he was right-footed. He finished his career at Flamengo as Zico retired, because they played. It was Zico, Leandro, and Leandro was the other outside-back, because Leandro was so good, he was the best. People say there was the, he was the best right back ever in the history of soccer in Brazil. They say they were, he was better than Cafu, Carlos Alberto, everybody. So Leandro was so good that he made Junior play on the left side. So they were both right-footed. And okay, then so he would go to the wing. He finished his career as a 10. So, so versatile. In, in, in this game, the English commentator absolutely freaked out. <laughs> The minute the junior went to play right wing, the English commentator, you know, totally in his box, you know, he'd only ever seen the left fullback playing left fullback the whole game and dumping the ball 50 yards up the line, you know, and, and you know, and he kept saying, he's still there. <laughs> he, he's still there. Did you he's want, still is this playing on YouTube? Right I want to see this clip. You know, I, you know, I don't, but, but, you know, I, over the years I've seen you it again. You can find a game if and, and, and you uh, can find you know, it. And you've got to find the English commentary. Yeah, yeah, of you course. Know, so, hey. you know, you can't. He's still there. He's still there, you know, because it was totally out of the box. It was yeah. totally unpredict unpredictable. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, here's this, this great player, you know, that's completely messing up the other team's scheme, <laughs> you know, because he's on completely the wrong diagonal 60 yards away from where he should be you know and, and you know it's you know and, and I, I you know I never forgot that this should be illegal <laughs> there's nothing pattern play about this yeah, you know yeah. this is the complete opposite of pattern play and so what we've got to understand is that you know we, we can't train our teams you know to do certain things as teams pattern wise in youth soccer if we train kids to be pattern play oriented in youth soccer 
we are actually taking away their ability to be individually brilliant. We're taking their ability to be deceptive, to create illusions, you know, and I really believe the only combination if you like pattern plays that you can train, go up to two versus two, maybe when you th- or you should train, go up to two versus two. Because if you go beyond that, three versus three, four versus four, it breaks down so often. And it's not a pattern, it's ideas. Give the player different ideas. You're in this scenario, you can do the wall pass, you can do the wall pass fake, you can do a pass fake run, go inside. You can give different ideas for different scenarios, but don't... I hate the, the, the structure. I, I, and I hate I'm, it I'm as gonna, a player. I'm going to interrupt you. I hate I, it as a player. I was playing at, um, up until now, 30 years old. I understood a lot of times that certain things had to be done, but you don't even enjoy it. it, it it's not even fun. And you hate, I hate it to be told what to do. So, you know, you say different ideas. And, and I, you know, I, we've got to be really careful about this because there's, a, you know, there's hundreds of moves that you can do. But there's only six that are the best moves that are neuromuscularly manageable moves that you can do at the highest level under pressure if you're going to do the best move in the world for each of six scenarios, which is what the game throws at you. You know, and you should only do them one way to come out on your strong foot because there's no point in doing a move if you come out on your wooden leg and you can't play a penetrating pass you can't score an incredible goal so you know we have to be very careful about all these different ideas and this is the point is we're given a limited amount of time with our players to give them brilliance and so I believe now that instead of doing a wall pass and a wall pass fake an overlap and an overlap fake a a a takeover and a takeover fake a double pass and a double pass fake we, we cut out the takeover and the double pass. That's what I've done. I've cut both of those out. Because they're not as effective as a yeah. wall pass yeah. and a wall pass fake and a take, a, 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 overlap. an overlap and an overlap fake. Yeah. And so there's, there's only a certain number of things that you can use in your best magician's performance on stage. <laughs> but I, is I, this making sense? It is making perfect sense. And I, and I actually think you and Philippe are on the same page. I think Philippe, what Philippe's saying is that and what I love about the game of soccer is ideas in terms of like we're giving kids with six skills, right? And then four combination plays between overlap, overlap, fake, uh, wall pass, wall pack, fake. We're giving them the foundation. We're giving them the paint. We're giving them the 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 key paintbrushes that they need, right, to to be effective. And then we're uh, give then we're affording them the ability to create ideas that they use those paintbrushes for to create space and to break down defenses. And that, in my opinion, is what makes soccer the best game in the world because the creativity that it can have and the the the, the number of ideas a player can have to solve a, a unique problem because the dif- defense might present a little bit differently in this moment or in that moment to use their... 12 paintbrushes to beat the defense and to to create art, if you will. And if you compare this to baseball, if you compare this to football, if you compare this to golf, I think that's the difference is that soccer truly is the best game to actually allow the players within the game to create ideas and execute them. But the the problem with with soccer, you know, is that it's a free flowing game. And, and the problem that coaches have is when it's a free-flowing game... They try to control. They, they try and pattern it. Yeah. 
you know, and you can't pattern a game that free flow, flows, you know. So what we're doing is we're putting uh, uh, these deceptive plays in because we realize we can't pattern bigger plays. We can't pattern the whole game, but we can teach people the opposites. We either pass or we dribble. Those are opposites, yeah. you know, but we can be deceptive about when we're going to pass and when we're going to dribble. And and so, but I'm going to give you, use the word baseball, right? You know, which is sacrilege around here. We don't use that word. This is a soccer club. And, you know, but I'm going to, I'm going to actually kind of go back on myself here because um, we had a coaches meeting the other night and I sent Philippe this clip that I just found that day while I was researching about a baseball game. And it was absolutely brilliant because um, the, a team had practiced and practiced and practiced this, this one play, which involved the, um, the pitcher, you know, um, completely faking to throw to one of the bases, but not releasing the ball, palming the ball. And so what the, t- what the baseball team had done is, you know, they, they, the pitcher did one of these and, and then threw and hit the ball, never released it. And everybody on his team acted as though the ball had been caught, you know, and, you know, they were going to get that player out, run into that base. And the pitcher flipped the ball to another base to get another player completely, and, mm-hmm. which was totally unexpected because he'd completely palmed the ball, you know, and the whole thing was a, was a set play, you know, during the middle of this baseball game, it was a complete illusion that that pitcher had created by instead of, you know, letting the ball go, you know, palming it and, and you know, flowing it, throwing it the other way. And everybody was looking around like, you know, because they realized that there was no ball eventually. You know, because, you know, everybody had looked, the crowd had looked, the TV commentators were totally fooled. Yeah, yeah. You know, the TV was positioned to the base that looked as though it was receiving the ball and the ball didn't go there. So everybody was, you know, looking around and going crazy, you know, and, you know, it was it was a perfect deception play. Have you heard of the hidden ball trick? <laughs> Do you know the hidden ball trick? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I use it all the time. Yeah, that no, example. No, 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 the baseball hidden ball trick. I'm guessing now. Oh, I'm talking about foreign. the juggling hidden ball. No, no, trick. I'm talking about the base. Any American listening that has any understanding of baseball knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it just hit me that this is the first time I've realized I'm sat with two people that lived in America for a long time and have no idea what the hidden ball trick. But it's an illusion. What's baseball? What's baseball? Uh, anyway, uh, carry on. I'm here trying to understand what's being talked about because I'm <laughs> a hidden ball trick. Is is you you throw the ball? The pitcher throws the ball to first base, right? Why a guy's on first base to try to tag him out? Okay, and then when the guy on first base isn't paying attention, the first baseman pretends to throw the ball back to the pitcher, but he hides the ball behind his back. I've seen that as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and then yeah. once the player goes off the base, he, he tags him out. It's it's like the oldest trick in the book but it fits right into your illusionary uh, comment um, yeah so but, but what we've got to do in soccer is we've got to teach this in a more confusing dynamic environment right you know so you know baseball is like a series of set plays all the way all through the way through yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So, when i get the know, ball this is the play this is where i throw it that's what they're taught yeah yeah absolutely you know so you know they can practice that type of deception we have to train our players in for one of a better way but it's simplistic deception Stuff that they can actually do as individuals or in pairs. Combining with a uh, teammate. Yeah, just, yep. you know, but not a bigger pattern play, which you have to combine with a bunch of teammates because yep. that becomes too 
too complicated yep. and too difficult to reproduce in the game scenario. Yep. So, you know, if we can do this with individuals and teach them the individual deception in such a way that it really works, which is what our Maestro series does, it's, it's a series that goes deeper into the deception, you know, and fooling um, the opponent with a setup and a prefake than any other series that has ever you know, existed for deceptive dribbling. And I had the best-selling DVD in North America in the 1990s. You know, so... You know, this 2000s, is 2000s. You know, actually, it was late 1990s, I think. You know, maybe no, early I'm 2000s. In I'm in it. You're in it? I'm I made that it. mistake? Yep. Oh, Put me and Jesse Baker in it. We taught, we taught everybody how to do the skills. Yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I That's why good soccer players. is so bad in North America. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, Just but that... Kidding. You know, we, I've been doing this for decades, and it's only over the last few years I'm realizing, you know, the complete, utter, devastating value of creating these scenarios that use a setup and a prefake instead of just the fake, which is what I, I taught you and Jesse and all of your teammates all through those years from four till 18 when I coached you, you know. And but you, you talk about... Uh, players that, that 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 we have and encouraging them to to really grab hold of of these deceptive skills right and not just not just with the ball at their feet but in combination play and, and it has to be illusion it has to be a fake it's got to be deceptive um and it what i what i want to make sure we don't let this episode go by without addressing is that in order and it's kind of crossing over to legends for life stuff right but in order to be effective in maestro skills with the ball at your feet or effective in wall passes or wall pass fake or overlap or overlap fake or as you mentioned early on pointing and calling as though you're going to play it to a ball right so so like not even a neuromuscular skill was the term you used in order to be effective of those things a player has to have one thing in spades and that one thing is confidence they have to have a significant, a, a much greater than average level of self-belief to, to, to be able to have the panache or the attitude that they can pull off these deceptive moments to fake out the other team. Um, and, and so when I say legends for life, I'm, I'm meaning for those of you listening that don't know what that immediately means, it means that we use soccer as a vehicle to teach life lessons. And we believe that soccer is the best vehicle to do that. But we need our players to have so much self-belief that whether it's on the field or off the field, they want the ball in their hands and they want the chance to, to, to have an impact. Want the ball in their hands? <laughs> an impact um, on those around them. And so when we in training work on 1v1s and 2v2s and just dive into the maestro skills, just dive into the combination plays um, that we teach, and it gives kids a platform to go, yeah. I'm, I'm, I can do this. I believe in myself. I'm better. I'm, I'm good enough to make this happen in those around me. And that's the real positive. Zidane was only able to, 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 in that clip that I mentioned, let it run through his legs, turn and bury it far corner because his level of confidence was through the roof. Um, uh, 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 junior um, was only able to go spend all of those time in right at right forward, right wing, despite being mocked by the English commentator because his self belief was through the roof. And so, as coaches, if you're listening, I think that's maybe 
potentially the best argument for why you should really embrace and engage in coaching in a style that encourages kids to go for it, to use deception, to use fakes, both with the ball at their feet and off of the ball, because that's the best flat platform to help kids have a, a, a higher than average self-belief, um, which is what's necessary for us to propel society forward. And they're so, not going to gain confidence if you keep telling them that's the pattern you need to follow. That's the, that's what you need to do. You're putting them in a prison and they, the, the whole time they're going to be, am I doing it right? Am I in the right spot? It's am robotic. I doing this? It's they're, they're not they're, That hurts their confidence. They're not there free, feeling free. And, you know, experiencing and going for it. They're thinking on the instructions and trying to be, you know, feeding into what it's being told to them. So that doesn't help. So this is kind of interesting because what's the name of this show? Coaching inside the box because we don't do that. Correct. We we actually the whole thing is an illusion. It's an illusion because <laughs> we're coaching kids to get outside yeah, of yeah. the box. Yeah, yeah. But Diff- we coach different them. Box. But we're, but but we're we putting them in the box yeah, to teach them, them to get, to outside, get outside, outside the box. The box. Yeah, so yeah. so you know what we're doing is we're getting these kids to expand how they look at the world. But then here's the interesting thing, you know, we do impose a box. So we're not the crazy art for art's sake coaches that people think we are. Because art for art's sake is, you know, you can walk into a studio, you know, and get a bunch of different colored paints and and just throw the paint at the canvas, big canvas on the wall, you know, and say it's art. You know, well, that doesn't get you anywhere. You know, we still want a result. We still want to win the game, but we don't want to win the game at the cost of individual ability to go to the highest level. We want to win the game whilst developing individuals that can go to the highest level. And we all know the best individuals in world history were the great dribblers and goal scorers. So we have to do art for future's sake. We have to be training good citizens for society that can be really creative, but in addition to be really creative, when they need to get down and dirty and they need to work in order to make something happen, they've got the work ethic, you know. So we cannot just do, you know, these crazy things, art for art side things. What we have to do is we have to get kids focused on a limited number of really creative things that they can learn almost to perfection, that they can, you know, use under pressure in the game scenario, you know, and dare I say it, pattern plays are not those things. You know, especially with kids. How dare Maybe you. we can do some of that with, with, you know, like Pep Guardiola for Manchester City. But coaches that use Manchester City as an example of how to train a youth soccer team are, and I'm not holding back here, idiots. <laughs> knuckleheads. Idiot, knuckleheads, you know, brainless, <laughs> you know, because you've got to develop the technical ability. You know, Pep Guardiola can do what he can do only because he's got players that are able to do world class skills what i'm hearing is you calling philippe a knucklehead for comparing himself to pep that's what i'm hearing <laughs> i was talking uh, from a managerial <laughs> recruiting transfer window perspective <laughs> you can give me all the excuses you want philippe but you're a knucklehead in my book that's, that's all good i don't know what knucklehead means so you know the professional game might be rife with pattern plays and it might have a place with pattern plays like i contacted paul balsam and i said to him you know with leicester city i know that you know you're a small-sided game advocate you know and you know do you think pattern plays had a place in leicester's ability to win the 
you know, the, the Premier League, you know, this minnow of a club, you know, comes all the way 5,000 to 1 odds from the bookies. I mean, that, that never happens. You know, 5,000 to 1 odds never win the big one, you know. And, uh, and he managed to put together a team there that won the big one, you know. And he said, yeah, they can be useful, you know. But I know they did a lot of that small-sided stuff at Leicester, sure. probably more than anybody else because Paul believes in that as, as the foundation exercise for developing players that can improvise and here's the thing when you're training a professional team they're training the day the day before the game needs to be a lighter session so they cannot go against defenders they cannot go hard really hard so you go through a pattern you go through some movements so they jog they get their legs loose they take a few touches and stuff and they're working some patterns that's the time and place, not when you're trying to develop the kids. Yep. Yeah, and, and you know, Paul developed you know more than probably any other coach because he's been there all the time for um, for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. You know, their friends. Zlatan is his, uh, his Benji, his his Down syndrome son. Zlatan is Benji's godfather, and and Zlatan paid for Benji's whole. Um, Special Olympic soccer team to go to Brazil to play in the Special Olympics World Cup, footed the whole bill. How awesome is that? You know, but but Paul is the biggest reason why Zlatan is a beast. Go back and watch when he was playing for Ajax in Holland. Skinny, you know, nothing like the physical presence body that he's got now. You know, and over years, Balsam helped him retool his physiology so that he could stay fit, stay active, and still play at the highest level of the game. And for a guy of his size, have his mobility and his Incredible. skill level, it's just uh, unbelievable. As, as we wrap up this episode, Andy, you've got some homework. I'd like you to come back to the next episode. I want you to reach out to Paul, and I want you to ask him his take on Ted Lasso Season 3 and how closely Zava resembles Zlatan in the locker room. So if you could find that out for us and come back to us. Hey, interesting thing about Paul... Um, and the, for those of you who don't know, he uh, um, he took over the Swedish women, made them successful way back when, and they've been successful ever since because he's still involved. And then they gave in the men, and they've been successful, and he's still involved, and they've been successful ever since in terms of anything they previously previously achieved, with the exception of the 1958 World Cup when they got to the final and Pelé, you know, did that incredible. Whoop. Yeah, <laughs> you know, scored that goal put the ball over the head of the defender. But, you know, they hadn't consistently been, you know, good. So Paul then went to Bolton Wanderers and worked with Big Sam when he didn't help Leeds recently. But, you know, so Paul was the guy that they had their purple passion. He was the guy that engineered Bolton Wanderers into their best period in recent history. They're way down the divisions now. Then Paul got headhunted and went to Southampton and they produced just an absolute slew of incredibly creative um, international players out of Southampton that went on to have an incredible career. And then, of course, he moved to Leicester City and they won the Premier League with a team that had the smallest squad. He kept them fit the whole season, you know, and they did amazing things winning the Premier League. And then three years ago, he left Leicester and he joined the Tigres in Mexico for an extra adventure, a new adventure. What happened to Leicester? Relegation. Relegation. What happened to Southampton after he left? They went down. You know, Bolton Wanderers after he left, they went down. You know, and he just took over Tigres three years ago. They just won the Mexican Championship. You know, and what he, you know, there's, there's, you can't argue with facts. You know, and you have to spot the genius 
that maybe isn't in the headlines every day because they're not doing the everyday things that all the other clubs are doing. You know, you know, and it, you know, it's kind of like the loudest noise gets the attention, right? You know, you have to watch the quiet genius. You know, and he takes a little bit of stick because apparently at Leicester he used to walk around the training ground without any shoes on. You know, and he's kind of like this. Uh, Gandalf character, you know, you know, from Lord of the Rings, you know, in, in a premier environment. But he is a genius. I went to college with him, you know, phys ed school with him. And he, he went to Southern California and he got his master's degree. He went to the Kalarinska Institute in Sweden and got his PhD. He's possibly the most knowledgeable man in sports about creating loading, you know, which is legal. And he does that with the teams that he coaches and includes that within the diet. So they stay very fit. All of their best players remain available to the team the whole season instead of getting injured. You know, we see that here with Sporting KC. Their key players seem to get injured a lot. You know, that doesn't happen to teams that Paul's involved with. But the most important thing is, you know, they play an adventurous, creative style and they do a lot of three versus three work in training in order to build that ability, the one-on-one, the one-on-two, the one-on-three, the three-on-two, the two-on-one, you know, and all of these variations happen just naturally in that type of situation. So he's had incredible success doing an adult version of what we do, if that makes sense. Yep. You know. Well, good stuff. Uh, Philippe, good luck in State Cup and uh, with all of your Pep Guardiola-like recruiting. Um, hopefully that works out for you. Um, Andy, Philippe, until next time. Goodbye, guys. Thanks, guys. Much Thank appreciated. You. Bye, guys.